0: We are still plugging away on our Holy Spirit series where what we've been calling the unseen power and looking at how the Holy Spirit plays a role in our living out lives of faith. And last week we spent some time looking at one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives and that is to make us holy. And there was a fancy word that we used for making us holy. Does anybody remember what that was? Sanctification. Exactly. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He makes us holy. And that's why He's called the Holy Spirit. And the outcome of that sanctification, we learn from the book of Galatians, is called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Um, That's what He produces in our lives when we choose to walk by the Spirit. And this action in our life is is a grace. It is God working in our lives to accomplish what what we could never do on our own. And so sanctification is a grace. Well, we're going to be looking at another grace in our lives today that is an outcome of the Holy Spirit. And this grace is often called the gifts of the Spirit. And we're just going to kind of just touch on it because um, this morning's sermon is going to be kind of a, a background thing because we've got to kind of back up a little bit before we move forward and so it'll make sense as we progress through that. But to kind of touch on the gifts of the Spirit, I want, you to read, I want us to read from a passage in the Bible that talks about them. Now, there's, this is just going to be reading one passage. There's like three main passages that talk about the gifts. But I just want to read through it so that we can kind of see the layout of it. Okay? So if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, open up to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, it comes right before 2 Corinthians, if that helps you at all locate it. First Corinthians chapter 12 and we'll start at verse 1 and then after verse 1 we're going to bounce to verse 4 But it says now about spiritual gifts brothers. I do not want you to be ignorant There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines now this is one of the main passages in scripture that gives us a list of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit imparts to believers and this is certainly not an exhaustive list this was just Paul simply making a point as ha- at the fact that there are different gifts but they all come from the same spirit now I'm not sure if you knew this or not But the topic of spiritual gifts is a very controversial topic within the Christian realm. And, And here's why it's so controversial. There are large portions of Christianity that believe all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are being poured out on followers of Jesus Christ today. That all these gifts are still available to the church for the sake of extending the kingdom of God. And to be fair to this belief system, This person would would say that the Holy Spirit is just as active today as he was way back in the early church days, okay, after the day of Pentecost. In other words, nothing has changed. A person that believes that is called a continualist. Have this right? I don't know if you guys can see that, but I feel like Vanna White walking around here. But it's a continualist. And like I said, this person would believe that that all the gifts are still available today. The other side of the coin, other side of the of the camp, is the other viewpoint that regards the gifts of the Spirit. They believe that all the gifts, well, not all the gifts of the Spirit, but many of the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. In other words, the Spirit no longer imparts these gifts to followers of Jesus Christ anymore. That was something that he did way back you know, in the early church days to kind of get the church off the ground after Jesus ascended to be with the Father. The Spirit was giving out these gifts to help the church kind of get going. Okay? And that person would be called a cessationist. Okay, All right. Fancy word. You guys can see it. Okay, that's called a, a cessationist. And these are the two camps. Now, to be fair, a cessationist, this belief system, this person doesn't believe all the gifts have ceased, just some. Just the like, super-duper miraculous ones, like healing and tongues and, and prophecy and miraculous powers, stuff like that. They still believe that the Spirit will impart gifts like teaching and wisdom and, and maybe administration and stuff like that, but not the big supernatural ones. Those have ceased okay and these two beliefs are on opposite sides of the spectrum and honestly debates over these two viewpoints can get really heated at times i i've experienced this in my own lifetime and i will tell you right now that i have dear friends and family and loved ones who are followers of jesus who love jesus and serve jesus who sit in this camp okay I also have friends and loved ones and followers of Jesus who love Jesus and serve Jesus with their whole life who fall in this camp. I have friends that are in both sides of the camp there. And as I said, these are the two opposite spectrums of the two different viewpoints. Now, you might be wondering, why in the world am I even spending time on this issue? And here's why I am. I think this is a very important issue for all of us to wrestle over trying to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How exactly does He work in us? How exactly does He work through us? We need to know that. So we need to come to a decision based on the Word of God where we stand on this issue. So I wanted to take the time today to discuss it. And in doing so, I'm going to do my best to keep it simple and as understandable as possible so that we can really wrap our heads around it. Now, in doing so, I realized that within our very own Whitestone family, there's going to be people on both sides of the camp with this. We have people who are, you know, probably cessationists in our midst. We have people who are probably, you know, continualists in our camp. So when I begin to explain and teach on where Whitestone stands on this issue, it may upset some of you. I don't know. But I would ask that you would not allow yourself to get upset. If you lean a certain way on a certain issue, I'm telling you, that is totally fine. I can understand why you do. But I would ask that in spite of the fact that we might disagree on a certain issue, we would still love each other deeply. Amen? That's what we're called to do. So if we don't see eye to eye on certain aspects, the important thing is we must love each other. For instance... When it comes to the end times in Scripture, there are a myriad of different viewpoints when it comes to the end times. And people have their viewpoint, and they stick to it, and they they believe where they're coming from. And you know what? I can see why they they would come to that conclusion. I can see where they're coming from in that. And the fact that I might not agree with them shouldn't mean that we shouldn't have fellowship with one another and love each other. We still need to love each other. And so let's go through this in love. Now, if your Bible's open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want you to scoot forward some more to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Does anybody know what that chapter is known for? It's the love chapter. If we're going to talk about love, we might as well start in the love chapter, right? Well, this passage is often used and quoted in weddings. You hear it all the time, you know, love is patient, love is kind, you know, and it goes through all those things, and they're looking at each other all googly-eyed, and it's awesome. But what most people don't know is that this passage is put right in the middle of a large discussion on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The church at Corinthians, the Corinthian church, was going through just a mess. They were an absolute mess. Everything was in disunity. People were trying to show off their spiritual gifts. People were clamoring for this, clamoring for that. And so Paul wrote this letter explaining the spiritual gifts, and then right smack in the middle he goes, but you need to know that none of this matters without love. Everything flows through love, and so that's why we have the love chapter. But at the end of the chapter, Paul says something very interesting. Let me read it to you, starting in verse 8. He says this He goes, Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. But then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Okay. Okay what you are looking at there in that passage is one of the main proof texts of the cessationist viewpoint okay this is where this viewpoint bases its scriptural proof on because notice what it says there where there are prophecies they will what cease they're going to cease we, we know that prophecy is a gift of the spirit but where there are prophecies they will cease okay And and then it goes, where there are tongues, where there are languages, it will be what? Stilled. Tongues are going to be stilled. We saw that tongues is a gift of the Spirit in chapter 12. Well, one day they're going to be stilled. And then there's knowledge, the gift of knowledge. Where there is knowledge, it will what? It will pass away. Knowledge we saw in the previous was a gift of knowledge. And one day it's going to pass away. Now look at verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. In other words, we don't fully get the whole picture. Even with the gift of knowledge, we can't know everything, you know, only a part of it. Even with the gift of prophecy, we can't see all the future, only a part of it. But, and pay attention to this because everything hinges on this one comment. He says, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Now, what does Paul mean when he says, when perfection comes? Because the answer to that will help you decide which camp you sit in. Okay? Because Paul is telling us here that eventually, when perfection comes, all of these gifts will not be needed anymore. Why would we need to use something that isn't perfect when we have perfection available to us? That's the rhetorical question Paul is presenting us with. So what is this perfection Paul is talking about? Well, here are the two viewpoints. According to the cessationist viewpoint, the perfection Paul is talking about, can anybody guess? It's the Bible. Okay? Up until this this time, you need to understand that the church did not have a Bible. They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament. God was still in the process of using men to write it. So according to this viewpoint, when finally the Bible was fully written and we had the full canon of Scripture, which means the full collection of Scripture, all the books of the Bible, finally we have perfection in our hands. The perfect, full, written Word of God. And when that would finally happen, we would no longer need these supernatural imperfect gifts anymore. We wouldn't need prophecy because we have the Bible. We wouldn't need tongues because we have the Bible. We would not need knowledge because we have the Bible, the perfect written Word of God. Okay, does that make sense? That would be the viewpoint of the cessationist. Now let's look at the other side of the discussion. What does Paul mean by when perfection comes, according to the continuous point of view? Well, many of you guys actually spoke it out. According to the continuous point of view, the word perfection is referring to the return of Jesus. What a continuous would say is that when Jesus finally comes back, we will finally have perfection. When Jesus, the perfect one, comes back, He's going to make all things right again. He's going to set up His kingdom here on earth, and He's going to rule this earth, and we won't need prophecy because we have Jesus. We won't need tongues because we have Jesus. We won't need knowledge because we have Jesus. Those things will finally cease because we will no longer need them. We have Jesus. Perfection has finally come. So one viewpoint views perfection as being the entire Bible, the collection of the Scriptures. The other viewpoint sees perfection as being Jesus Christ Himself. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, which one is right? Now, I could stand up here and I could say, well, this is the right answer. But I don't want to do that because I want you guys to wrestle with this. I want you guys to come to a decision in your own minds of where you stand on this because this is important that you do that. It's best not to just be sit there and be spoon-fed yourself. You need to really understand, okay, where do I stand on this according to the Word of God? I will, however, share the stance of Whitestone and where the leadership of Whitestone stands on this issue. But in doing so, guys, I still want to encourage you to seek out the answer that you feel is correct according to the Word of God. Don't just be like, well, if Luke says that's right, then apparently it's right. I'm just going to go with that. Don't do that. I would encourage you for every sermon I preach, you guys hold it up to the Word of God, and you see if it stands up. That's what we need to do with each other. But here's where Whitestone stands on the issue. Whitestone's position on this issue is that we would agree with the continualist viewpoint. Okay? We fully believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are still being given out by the Spirit as He sees fit. Do not believe that these gifts have ceased, according to the cessationists. Now, why would we take that stance? Well, there's several reasons, but the number one reason is this. We're still in the last days. Now, you might be going, what in the world does that mean, Luke? What does it mean we're still in the last days? Here's here's what I mean by that. Do you remember talking about the day of Pentecost? Remember when all the disciples were in the city of Jerusalem, and the Spirit of God was poured out on them, and they began to speak in different languages, different foreign languages. And there were people from all around the world who suddenly began to hear their language being spoken to them perfectly. And, and, and they were just like, what is going on? This is crazy. This is unbelievable. And some people went around and said, well, they must be drunk. No clue why they came to that conclusion, but they said they must be drunk. But Peter then gets up to address the crowd. And do you remember what he says? Here it is. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, he says, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I love that. (laughs) Eleven, maybe, but not nine. He says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out My Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on My servants, both men and women, I will pour out My Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now notice that phrase that the prophet Joel actually quotes. In the last days... I will pour out my spirit. Peter was saying that, listen, you guys are seeing, what you guys are seeing is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel spoke about, that this would happen in the last days. So Peter, by claiming this, is saying that right then was the last days. This was the beginning of the last days. Okay? And in the last days, the Spirit would be poured out on all people, and they were speaking in tongues, and on and on. So let me ask you, Whitestone, if those were the last days, what days are we in right now? We're still in the last days. Exactly. In fact, you could argue that we're more in the last days than Peter was in the last days. The time period has not change we're still in the last days and if we're still in the last days then the spirit is still being poured out on all people so the gifts that we see that the spirit is pouring out on everyone back then is still being poured out on people now okay we're still in the last days second reason why we would agree with the continuous viewpoint is found in first corinthians 13 verse 12 Paul says this. Remember, Paul's talking. He says, now we see but a poor reflection is in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now, pay attention to what that verse says. It says, now we see but a poor reflection. He's using the analogy of a mirror. Now, apparently back then, they did not have mirrors like we have uh, where there's like a perfect reflection Back then, what they would use as a mirror is they would polish some brass, like really, really nice, and they would look at themselves in in the brass. Now, obviously, it wasn't perfect. It's kind of blurry. You don't get a clear reflection on that. So Paul was saying, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. For us, it would be like if it was a really dirty mirror, you couldn't get a good picture of it, okay? And Paul's saying, that's what we're experiencing now. We only get a glimpse of what Jesus is fully like. We see some, but not all. But then we shall see what? Face to face. Face to face. And guys, here's what I want you to see with that Jesus is the perfection we will see face to face. Paul uses the term face-to-face. If perfection was talking about a Bible, you wouldn't say that we would see it face-to-face. Face-to-face means person-to-person, and it's referring to a person we will see, not a written book. The face we're going to see is Jesus in all of His perfect glory. Now the verse goes on to say, Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Paul is saying, listen, right now... I only know in part I don't know everything but then I shall know fully I will know everything well there's two things wrong with that if perfection is referring to the Bible Paul is one of the authors that God is using to write the Bible and Paul is telling us that he only knows in part he doesn't know everything But there will come a time where he will know everything. Well, first of all, Paul never saw a completed Bible in his day. The entire Scriptures weren't put together in one book form for him to see and finally say, now I know everything. That time never came for Paul. So the entire collection of the Bible... Can't be what Paul was referring to by using the word perfection. He's using I there. It's a personal pronoun. Secondly, and this is kind of an obvious thing, having the Bible doesn't mean we know everything fully. Think about that. Just because we have the entire canon of Scripture in our hands does not mean that we know fully about everything. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes Scripture leaves us with more questions than answers on certain topics. We we just don't know exactly what it's telling us on certain things. Like, for instance, I mentioned the end times. Like I said, there is a myriad of different viewpoints on the end times because Scripture is not exactly clear about that. And so people have their viewpoints. But nobody could get up here and stand before you and say, this is exactly how it's going to go down. I know for sure. If anybody does that ignore them because nobody knows scripture is not fully clear on that so having the bible does not mean that we know things fully but i will tell you this when jesus comes and we see him face to face there will not be a question he cannot answer for us and finally then we will be able to know about everything because he's here with us. Here's my final point. And this is just an obvious basic final point. A basic reading of the scriptures would lead you to believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still available today. For instance, I asked you when we read that passage, who did you think the perfection was talking about? You all said Jesus. It just kind of flowed from you. If you were to lock someone up in a room little boy, teach him how to read, and then give him a Bible and say, I want you to read this Bible from start to finish. When this kid would read through the entire Bible, he would come to the conclusion that the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation today. He or she just would. Why? Because a basic reading portrays that. One has to jump through some pretty significant theological hoops to make the points that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased today. But when you just read through the scriptures as basically reading through it, it does not tell you that. And that's just a simple truth. All right, is everybody with me so far? Okay, anybody want to get up and walk out and throw tomatoes at me? Hopefully not. All right, if all this is true, let me ask you a question. If the Spirit is still giving out gifts, supernatural gifts to followers of Jesus today, if that is still available, then let me ask you this why don't we see miraculous things happening more often today why don't we see the amazing things that happened in the book of acts happening in our midst and that my friends is a very good and valid question and that will be the question any good cessationist would ask you because they have a point We just don't see these things happening like they used to in the book of Acts. So, the natural progression of thought is, they must have ceased. It must have come to an end. I mean, the evidence would agree with them on that. We just don't see that today. Now, I personally have an opinion to be able to answer that question, but once again, I'm not going to share it with you today. I will share it in the future, but not today, because... What I, want you to simply, I, what I want to simply do is to leave you with that question to wrestle with yourself. I want you to go to God with it. I want you to ask Him, God, why is this? And I'm going to leave you with that. I want you to really wrestle with it and ask God. Make that your homework this week. But I'm going to leave you with this thought in doing so. Guys, it is never a good practice to base a doctrine on your experience it must be based based on the truth of the word of god it is never a good idea to to make a doctrine based on what you've experienced in your life it needs to be based on the truth of the word of god in other words just because we don't experience the gifts of the spirit very much in our midst shouldn't mean that we should automatically build a doctrine around our experience and say, well, the gifts must have ceased. Let's let's figure out how we can use Scripture to prove our point. No. We must build our doctrine around what the Word of God says and ask ourselves then, why then doesn't our experience line up with what the Word of God says is true? And then work on fixing that. That should be our job. Like, for instance, the Bible teaches us to pray. This is to pray without ceasing. It says that if you ask your Father for a piece of bread, He's not going to give you a stone. He wants to answer our prayer. And yet, many of us will pray and pray and pray and pray, and He doesn't answer our prayer. Should we then at that point go, well, apparently God has changed the way he works and he's not going to answer prayer anymore, so let's try to build a doctrine around our experience and let's base our our doctrine on that. Would that be smart? Absolutely not. What we need to do is say, why? Why isn't God answering my prayer? There must be something that I'm missing here and search the Word of God to find the answer to that. And guys, that's what we intend to do here at Whitestone over the next months and years. And really, not just on the topic of gifts, but on any topic that we cover. If the Bible tells us one thing and we experience another, we need to find out why we're not experiencing what the Bible teaches us to be true. Because the Bible is true, not our experience. Amen? Now, why did we take all this time talking through these two different viewpoints? Well, it's really simple. Depending on how you view the gifts of the Spirit will depend on how you approach them in your own life. And when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, there's a very important way to approach them that needs to be addressed. And we're going to cover that in upcoming weeks. As for the next week, we're going to be looking at kind of the gifts of the Spirit and see, unpack them. What are they? Why do we need them? How do they work? And it's going to be good for us to see all that. And then we're going to address how we approach them and having them in our life and bit by bit we're going to continue to progress in this journey of understanding the Holy Spirit and guys I'm going to tell you this is a huge topic and so it's important that we move slowly and we progress together so that we're all on the same page with this but this is a big one where do you stand on this wrestle with that this week study the Word of God see where what the Holy Spirit teaches you in this regard because depending on where you stand with this will then cause you then how, how you're going to act out accordingly. Because remember, what we believe is how we will act out. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for sending your Holy Spirit. God, we're just going to be honest with you. There's so much we don't know. And God, I pray that we would not be deceived by anything that the world might be throwing at us, but that we might learn from your word what the truth is regarding your Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that we might become a group of people who are living out Your fruit in our lives and experiencing the gifts that You offer us. And may the world look at us and say, they worship a supernatural God. And may they be attracted to it. And may they run to You. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.